It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by Noah Princiati. We talked Tua, Mahomes, Taysom Hill, the Colts, and Lamar Jackson. Today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate, that's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Nora, tough day. Jets officially eliminated from playoff contention. It really, I thought they were going to hang in there a little bit. But you never know. They just decided that it's not the Jets here. 2020 strikes again. Tough, tough. It deals you surprise after surprise, and it came for the Jets today. This was an amazing day of football, but my niece, she's about eight months old, and she was in the room with me at one point. And I looked up, and I realized the first game she'd ever seen, ever, first football game she'd ever laid eyes on, was Browns-Eagles. It was a tough moment. It was a tough moment. She was watching about 10 minutes of it. I wasn't really putting two and two together, but yeah, she watched a little bit of that, and that was, uh, you know, it's a tough day. It's a little different. I, I don't know if she's listening to Mozart, all those things that are no. good for development. I'm not sure that Browns Eagles is good for early early childhood development. The first game I remember watching was Washington football team Monday night game. Yeah, I guess I would guess the early 90s. Okay. So, Do you know if it was a good game? I don't remember. I mean, it was back when they were competent, so it was okay. But it could only go up from here, I guess I can say. I was born in, um, like, the O.J. Simpson car chase mm. and all of that coverage was, like, right, right, right before I was born. And I love to bring that up to my mom because I love to tell her that she had, like, all of this crazy television to watch while she was super pregnant. Mm. And she doesn't like when I do that. Okay. Not, the, 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 OJ case, the OJ case knocked your birth out of the news is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to be A1 and then mm-hmm. it kind of got pushed. Second page kind of deal. So we have a lot to get to today. Taysom Hill. That doesn't have to do with my birth. <laughs> Taysom Hill, Tua, Colts Packers. I mean, we this is this is a very full show. Don't, don't let the banter fool you. This is a very full show. But we will start with what we just saw. Uh, a what would be considered 
great game for anybody else. Great comeback, all that. It just seems downright normal. It's a 35-31 win for the Chiefs over the Raiders. Uh, I know this is Kevin O'Connor's bit, but I'm just going to steal it. I'm going to appropriate it for a second. Don't take this for granted. This is not normal. Patrick Mahomes getting the ball back with under two minutes to go and it feeling inevitable is special. And and I don't want anyone, I don't want any sort of fatigue to set in where we go, oh, of course Patrick Mahomes is going to score. No, this is not, this should not feel normal ever. Nora, first takeaway. I am so glad the Chiefs won this game because if they didn't, in my heart of hearts, I would still believe that they are inevitable. And I would not really feel like it had changed all that much, but we would be looking at a situation where the Raiders would have swept the Chiefs this season. And Patrick Mahomes' only two interceptions of the season would have come against Las Vegas. And we sort of would have had to acknowledge it, except I don't know about you, but I think I would have been working through that and trying to figure out what happened and what went wrong and still feeling this little thing deep down inside me just going like, we know they're going to be there. Even Mm. this, even losing two games to a division rival is not enough to say that this formula, which remains the best Super Bowl formula that exists, which is a great passing offense and a defense that is better against the pass than, than the run, but good enough is still in play. And then we just see Patrick Mahomes do Patrick Mahomes things. So we don't have to have that conversation. And I'm very grateful that we don't. The best formula is to be have a basic level of competence plus Patrick Mahomes. Yes, absolutely. I would take that. I would take that in football. I would take that. I might take that in baseball. I Mm -hmm. might take that in like hopscotch. It that's any competitive, maybe beyond competitive thing, any competitive thing. So in so many Chiefs games, the only thing that matters is the one team had Patrick Mahomes. I would extend that on Sunday night to Travis Kelsey. Uh, eight catches, 127 yards. Uh, the, obviously, the game winner at the end, uh, Mahomes was moving according to next-gen stats at 13 miles per hour. I mean, there's just it was just classic Chiefs. And I understand that those sort of comebacks, again, when I say classic Chiefs, I don't mean to, to make it say, think that I don't want anyone to think it's not special. This is just what they do. And I think all credit to the Raiders. But when I was watching that game and I was watching the last Raiders drive, the second to last Raiders drive, obviously, where they scored with Jason Witten had that touchdown. I was wondering, okay, if this holds, do I think any less of the Chiefs? Do I start to think about the fact that I've said that they're going to make the Super Bowl for a number of weeks? Do I come off of that a little bit? The answer is no. Um, The answer is, you know, there have been times over the past two years where Mahomes has looked mortal. uh, But yeah. Listen, like the house always wins and Mahomes is kind of the house here. Okay. Like this is, it, I, there's not really a lot of ways to explain it. Um, Collinsworth at the end said, you know, he's, he's stacking greatness on top of greatness on top of greatness. And, that, and that's it. And that is why this all seems to run together at some point. Um, but I think that you, you have the perfect marriage of, of scheme and talent and players. And the fact that the chief's defense wasn't perfect tonight is fine. You know, Daniel Sorensen did not play well today. Well, guess what? He had the game ceiling interception. Like there's a there's a type of defense that they need to employ that doesn't require them to be perfect. It requires them to create turnovers, be just good enough. Um, you know, I think Derek Carr played his ass off tonight. Uh, we'll get to the Raiders in a second, but it's a weird thing to say. But even if the Chiefs didn't come back in this game, I would have had the exact same opinion. Um, I just this is just more confirmation of what the Chiefs are, which is making the miraculous look normal. There's a little bit of hope in this game that the Chiefs might run up the score. They were upset because the Raiders did the lap around their stadium and the, the victory bus. victory lap. 
to stick it to a bus, bus driver, gate. apparently. Yeah, that whole thing seemed weird to me, especially because if I were celebrating a big victory, do you know what I would not want to do? Is spend... Get in a feud with a bus driver? No, just spend more time mm. on a bus than I need to. Mm. Like, when have you ever been on a bus and you've been like, yeah, let's keep this going longer? You mm. know what we should do is drive around a big stadium one more time. We're celebrating tonight. Like, that makes no sense to me. The last bus I was on was after the Super Bowl and the bus driver got lost and took 90 minutes to get back. Yeah, Big that checks homes. out. Yeah. And would you have asked it to do an extra lap around a stadium? I don't think it so. did. It did an extra lap, just but just by happenstance. It was lost. Not because that's they, you'd that's beat what the they Chiefs. do. That's correct. Just making sure. Anyway, my point beyond the beyond Busgate was that there seemed like there was a little bit of potential for the Chiefs to try to run up the score which I don't really care about. I think this was a good win. I think the Raiders are a pretty good team and they remain inevitable as we have discussed here. Mm -hmm. That said, I think there is a little bit of a weird perception of them this year because they haven't had a huge marquee win. What I think they've done. Yeah. That is about what this good... on Friday. Right. So everyone should and read it. Thank you. What they have done that really good teams do is they've blown out bad opponents. They've mm -hmm. blown out the Broncos. They've blown out the Jets. And that actually, I think it's Pro Football Focus that's done a lot of research on this. Really good teams blow out terrible opponents. They don't necessarily not play close games against better opponents, but it's very telling if someone goes in and just knocks the doors off of mm -hmm. a clearly inferior opponent. So I think it's really good for them that they've done that. That said, they haven't had a big marquee win and they are sacrificing some of the big explosive plays that we've seen from them in the past for a slightly more efficient, less mistakes type of offense. Mm -hmm. And it is changing to a degree, I guess, the amount of hype that they're getting. But what I think is really important to start realizing as we get toward the playoffs is it doesn't make them any less potent of an offense. And I think this is as good as an example as we've had. Yes. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. And, I, and I've said that flat out a handful of times, especially since abandoning my original prediction a couple of months ago. Um, I do want to talk about the Raiders for a second because I've been hugely impressed with them this season. Um, I was on Cowherd on Friday and he was talking about Gruden for coach of the year. And I said, you know, I don't know if he deserves coach of the year, but he deserves an apology from me because the way that they've built their offense, where they built their franchise has really impressed me. And I thought there was a lot they did well tonight, obviously. Uh, I mean, the fact that Nelson Aguilar is a competent receiver. I mean, this is, we're going to dig into the Eagles. And, I mean, really dig in. Uh, we're going to stick a knife in them, in fact, a little bit later. But Aguilar being a competent wide receiver right now for this team just shows you the fact that they can not only build a roster, but unlock value. I guess you could say. And that, that's what I like to see. I think Mike Banks is a good GM. I think John Gruden's a good coach. I think that the way that they're playing with Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker and the fact that they're able to you know, marry some of the old school concepts that Gruden always wants to do with running down your throat with whether that's RPOs, whether that's motion, whatever it is, how they mix it up. Like I, I've just been so impressed in general with the Raiders coming into this game. Okay. And so I wasn't surprised by any of this. Um, and I'm, I'm hugely impressed with Derek Carr. You know, Mina comes made the point tonight that he, he's basically playing better than he was in 2016 when he was getting his MVP buzz. I mean, I think that we did, uh, I remember us doing a, a halfway show in 2016. And I think a couple of us had predicted Derek Carr was going to win the MVP. It looked, it looked like that. 
And obviously that was that was more of a narrative thing. I don't think he was the best quarterback in football. But with Carr in particular, one thing that I've I've always liked about him, and this is true of this year, I like seeing like third down passing because I think that third down passing is, is everyone knows you're gonna pass. And can you get better on that down? And he gets better on every single day. First down, he gets better on second down, better on third down. Okay. And I think that there's just, there's something there where, and I know, I know this sounds like junk science, but I, I actually do think he, he can make plays when he needs to. And I remember doing some reporting around him uh, a couple of years ago, talking to his brother, talking to him, a couple, a couple other people. And he's got kind of a, you know, his, his idol is Kobe Bryant. And I know he, he talks about the moment mentality and all that stuff, but I think he really likes these kind of close games. And I don't think he's the best quarterback in football. I don't think he's ever going to be the best quarterback in football, but I like him in these sort of games. He got Mahomes tonight. There's no shame in that. I'm just saying if they play big games in December and January, I like him as a guy who can make certain plays in big spots. He's not going to overcome a ton. He's going to have to take advantage of, of the considerable talent they've put around him. But I like Derek Carr. It's funny you talk about their performance on third downs because a couple of weeks ago, I did a story about some of the punters on these teams that have been really good on offense this year mm-hmm. who just haven't gotten to punt. And one of the guys that I interviewed for that was AJ Cole, who, by the way, was just a hilarious guy to talk to. You don't necessarily have a good gauge if you get some time lined up with a punter, like what he's going to yeah. be like. But AJ sure. Cole just had me in absolute stitches and offered one of the best football takes that I've ever heard, which is that holding for an extra point is the most fun that you can have on a football field. And he <laughs> actually kind of got me to buy in on it. He was like, no, no, you don't understand if it's a different year, like the crowd is going wild and I'm high-fiving everyone and I get to, this was a little bit sort of sad punter. He was like, I get to high-five the quarterback. And I was like, okay, okay, Sparky. But he was really charming. Um, However, one thing he said that made me laugh was he was like, I try to actually convince myself to be a little bit pessimistic. And when it's third down, just assume that I'm going to have to go punt because I don't want to be caught Mm -hmm. not ready for that situation. But he was saying that this year there's like a little thing in his head where he almost can't do it. And he said something along the lines of every time we have a big third down, I just feel like Hunter Renfro is going to convert. And I was cracking up because third and Renfro is kind of a, a media thing. And it's something people like to tweet about and joke about. But hearing that from a player is something that's kind of infiltrated how they think about it to me was very funny. And it goes to your point about them relishing those moments and not minding being in those situations, which if you are a team like that, that has a high powered offense is not as strong on the defensive side, kind of has to be willing to play in those games, particularly when you're in a really good division, like they are with the chiefs. So I think they're a really fun team, but I also think that they're better than that I thought they were going to be and they would not be fun to be matched up against in the playoffs. I agree. I agree. Six to nine on third down tonight. And listen, let me, let me go back to analytics mode here. The best third down efficiency is never having third downs, getting the first down on first down, getting the first down on second down. I understand that. What I'm saying is the Raiders are not a perfect team and Derek Carr is going to have to make plays and he's doing that. So this is a team full of badasses. I, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, obviously the chiefs played an amazing game today. The chiefs are much better than the Raiders. For me, when I look at this game, I have the exact same opinion of both teams as I did five hours ago. 
And so I don't think that there's there's a huge pendulum swing. The Raiders are still a playoff team. I, the, the Chiefs are still going to make the Super Bowl from the AFC. Ain't that you know? If the Raiders were in the NFC, this is a totally different conversation. Uh, but this is I, I I felt like this this was just a fun game that taught me almost nothing because that's just that was just the nature. That's that's just a Chiefs game. Did you see John Gruden? rub Andy Reid's belly at midfield after the game. I did. You know, I've told this story before, but I, I once saw in Orlando uh, John Gruden do the, uh, or Andy Reid do the the tap on the shoulder, walk the other way thing and John Gruden didn't didn't react. So they, they, have, they have an unusual relationship is all I'll say. Um, Alright, one of the weirdest games of the year, Colts versus Packers. I think I learned a lot. Nora, so first of all, I want to go to 35,000 feet here and say that in the same way we've had a full year to look at the Brady Belichick thing and say who was responsible for the Patriots dynasty. We now have that with Philip Rivers and the Chargers with who was responsible for that curse. And the answer, as with Brady and Belichick, is both. So the Colts win this game in overtime. Uh, they outscore the Packers 20 to three um, after the after halftime. Uh, it was not normal and there was a lot to unpack. Uh, where do you want to start, Nora? Well, let's start with the Colts defense and then we can get to the Rivers Chargers thing because I think that's a little bit more variable and harder to parse still at this point. This was (laughs) is variable and harder to parse the nice way of saying that. Sure. With the Colts defense, I thought this was a really interesting situation for them because they had played uh, some bad offenses and played really well against them. So going up against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers was, of course, expected to be very telling. And I was sitting there when Rakyasin picked off Rodgers in the first quarter, tied 7-7 on a throw to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I had expected Rodgers to kind of get the better of this Colts defense in this one, honestly. And I just remember sitting there going, wow. And it's just one play. But this defense to me has been opportunistic all season, but to see them keep it up against a quarterback as good as Rodgers, an offense as good as the Packers, I think was really impressive. And it shows me that opportunistic is actually a really good, good place to be as a defense in the NFL in general now, and particularly in 2020. But if they can pull that off and get that kind of play from their secondary against a quarterback who can make those tight window throws, then that's what you need. And so I think this was a really impressive win for them. I think their offense was super good in this game, although I would say that they probably will have a tougher time matching up against defenses that have better linebackers. But overall, I felt like this was a huge test for the Indy defense, and they definitely passed it. Okay. So I hate, hate when people say we got to talk more about X, Y, Z because we're in the media. And if we so choose, we could just start a campaign and people would talk more about certain people. And it's kind of a weird angle to play, but I'm going to do that now. I'm going to be the, we have to talk more about these guys guy. Okay. Is it Julian Blackman? I think, well, a couple of people. Okay. So Julian Blackman is number one. He obviously uh, forces the fumble in overtime that wins the Colts the game. Uh, Again, they probably should not have won a, listen, I actually don't understand who should have won this game. Okay, let's, let's leave that aside because there were so many different, it was just such a seesaw game. But, so Julian Blackman's number one. Darius Leonard, I didn't know this. Uh, I missed it during the week. 
But apparently Darius Leonard uh, said he was going to leave his mark on Rodgers because he took it very personally when Rodgers said that Fred Warner from San Francisco was the best middle linebacker in football. So he put that he, he on his on his proverbial bulletin board. He put that there and they told the media about it all week. I actually missed that. Uh, but obviously, Darius Leonard is one of the best middle linebackers in football, uh, whether he's better than Warner. That, that, that's a different podcast. Um, Rocky Sin obviously made that play. Uh, we know about DeForest Buckner, uh, but he showed up today. And so I just think that this Colts roster is really good. And I think that this is the kind of game that, that I wanted to see them play. Now, this was not perfect. This was the first time in, I think, six years they gave up 28 points in the first half. So for me to be, you know, for the Colts to be making a, a victory lap here, uh, it's a little weird. But they made enough plays against a quarterback who obviously has the capability to just absolutely burn you to a crisp. So... About the Packers here. So Rob Domofsky makes the point here that there have been two games where they've played teams with winning records at the time. This does not include the Saints because they didn't. They were 1-1. One one. But every time they played a team with a winning record, it's been the Bucks and it's been the Colts and they've gone 0-2. They have not played a lot of great teams this year. And I want to see, as for a team, I, I keep wanting to crown the Packers. I love the Packers. But I want to see them in these sorts of games take control and win. And I think that this, this frustrated me from that perspective. Now, there's a hundred things that happened in this game that could be its own discussion. Number one was the fact that the Colts should have put this game away in the fourth quarter and had five penalties in eight plays to keep stopping the clock and essentially give Green Bay the ball back. And then they were able to have that miracle drive and force overtime. I don't know how you do that. Holding, first of all, throughout the league is just not called anymore. We've, we've decided, we've, society's progressed past the need to call holding, and yet the Colts have gotten every single holding penalty this year. Okay, I thought that was amazing. The second part of it is, and this, again, not to bring up Belichick again, but if the Patriots had done that, I'd be doing the 4D chess thing. I'd be wondering how exactly Belichick was outsmarting it. Turns out the Colts just, just were holding on, on every play. It wasn't, it wasn't a strategy. At first, I was like, something's going on here. No, no, no. The thing that was going on was that the Colts were just holding all the time. Okay. You know those tweets that are like, you could call holding on every play. People love to yeah. talk about this. This Finally was happened. the literal representation of that tweet. So the Packers have six turnovers in two games. And I want to see more out of them on Sunday. And I start to look at the NFC. Okay. And I don't really, after Sunday, love any of these teams. The Bucs play like absolute weirdos every three weeks or four weeks. The Saints X factor is Drew Brees and when his ribs heal. And, and I don't even understand the, the Brees reports at this point. It's like, oh. Good news. He's feeling, he's, he's optimistic. Oh, by the way, he has 11 broken ribs. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what that looks like. If he comes back and he's healthy, the Saints are the best team in the NFC, I'm, I think, right? I had to ask in our production call how many ribs are in the human body, and it's 24. 24. So he's got over half, you know? So that's something. Come on, Drew. That's something. So, again, I'm trying to crown the Packers because I just don't know about their breeze situation. And I want him to be healthy. He's over 40 years old. I, I don't take no risks there. And we'll get to the Saints here in a minute. But I don't know. A little bit of weirdness. Uh, the defense, obviously, did let, let the Colts come back. Aaron Rodgers does not blow leads in his career, but he blew this one. Uh, in the third quarter, they, they ran six plays in the third quarter, two, three and outs. 
Um, Rodgers, again, generally had some, some really good moments on Sunday. But I came into this game saying, okay, they're playing a really good roster. They're playing a really good coaching staff. I'm ready to crown the Packers. Didn't happen for me. Well, so look at this game. And I think you said something a couple minutes ago about how it was a weird game overall and kind of difficult to parse in, in that aspect. The Packers lost three fumbles, including the one Julian Blackman forced in overtime mm-hmm. that set up the game-winning field goal. Rodgers threw a pick. The Colts were also two of two on fourth down. Yeah. So those little plays have big swings in terms of who's going to win and who's going to lose. So this was... It went to overtime. It was, of course, a close game, but it was especially close. And if those things go in different directions, we're probably having a different conversation here. So I don't think that it's legitimate to look at this and go, the Packers aren't who we thought they were. They're, they're playing a good team. No, I, oh, no, I'm not here to call them frauds and I know, or anything. I know you're I'm not just doing saying, that. I'm stopping short of saying, here we go. It's go pack go right to the Super Bowl. I wanted to do that. I wanted to have that discussion today. Maybe and I'm one just bored. Thing, well, but one... <laughs> It would be fun, right? It would be a nice little chat that we could have. But one thing that's stopping us, that is the type of thing that we don't end up having conversations about until this time of year and these types of games. The Packers came into that game with the 24th ranked special teams uh, per football outsiders. And J.K. Scott had a horrible day punting. And that matters when you're in games like this. That matters when you're, you're having trouble against teams with winning records because you're putting an offense like the Colts which is not built like the Packers to succeed in basically any situation and and can really, really get a boost when it's in favorable spots like that, you're giving them short fields over and over again. So stuff like that is what's getting in the way of us being able to have that Packers conversation. Now, I would still rather be the really good offense with the questionable defense that uh, Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins combined for 111 rushing yards and over four yards to carry. So the Packers run defense is a little bit suspect. They were also just, sometimes they play, especially on obvious passing downs, they play off in a way that I just find so frustrating. Like they were Mm. getting absolutely torched on crossing routes. I think Michael Pittman Jr. had the 45 yard touchdown. Um, Next Gen Stats had that over the last two games. He's caught all four of his crossing route targets for 121 yards and a touchdown, which is 50 yards more than the next closest player. The Colts are an offense that needs stuff like that to go right for them to have games like this. The Packers still ultimately are the team that I would view as more trustworthy because of their offense. But when you start giving those little edges, that's how you lose a game like this. So they're not far away from us being able to have that conversation and crown the Packers, but they're also not there. And I don't know what else to say about that beyond the fact that it's just a little bit unsatisfying, but they haven't earned it. Can I tell you my problem with the fact that we're not going to be able to crown the Packers anytime soon? They play the Bears next Sunday night. First of all, next Sunday night, I said that. I said the Bears are going to play their next game on national television. That's the actual problem here. But let's let's put that aside. Let's put a pin in that. They play the Bears next Sunday. Then they play the Eagles in another in a 425 game. So that'll be on national television too. Can't wait to watch Carson Wentz and Doug P in in uh in that national window. Dougie then P. they play the Lions. Okay. Then they play the Panthers. So we got Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers. So if my concern 
is I, I want to see them. I want, I want to, and listen, th- this is mostly, this is not college. There's no reason for style points. There's there. It's just me trying to figure out the puzzle pieces and fans trying to figure out the puzzle pieces. So well, podcasts I think the next, love style points because it gives us stuff to gab about. Well, it gives us absolutes, which in this crazy world, we're just trying to glom onto. But I'm, I'm all just about saying we're not going to, and any questions, I think this Packers team can make the Super Bowl very easily. I don't think there's any question about that. I'm not, I'm not going to hot take you here. I'm just saying that if we're looking for answers in the NFC, I don't think we're going to get them a- until January 20th or whatever. So, and th- there's, there's something to be said for that. It's like looking for meaning in a Polly Shore movie. It is. Is it like that? <laughs> That's from the movie Clueless. Oh. Um, it's like searching for love in high school is, is as pointless as looking for meaning in a Polly Shore movie. Cher Horowitz said I that. I don't remember much of Clueless. Clueless is my favorite movie. So I remember oh. a lot of Clueless. Okay. I didn't know that. It's good to know. It's good that the listener and I learn at the same time that, that, that little fun fact. All right, let's go to Joe together. Burrow. So this is not a fun fact. Joe Burrow is likely out for the year. He tweeted, he will see us next year. Ian Rappaport reported that Joe Burrow suffered a torn ACL based on the initial diagnosis, according to a source that talked to Ian. Uh, there may be additional damage, and the MRI will apparently confirm uh, that he tore his ACL and then what, what additional damage there may be. Um, I think that there's a pretty obvious takeaway here. Uh, number one is that this is just awful. And this is one of the the true bright spots uh, for the Bengals franchise in a number of years. And this sucks. Uh, he came into the game, according to Joe Reedy, uh, with 72 hits. That was tied for with Daniel Jones for the most by rookie quarterback in his first nine games since in the last 20 years. Um, I don't think anyone, some torn ACLs are pretty random, but the more pressure and the more hits you take, the more you're going to get hurt. And this was a situation where Joe Burrow was getting the crap knocked out of him. Yeah, Mallory Rubin and I were having a conversation about the rookie quarterbacks mm. a couple weeks ago, and I was kind of thinking about what Burrow's season's been like as this 10,000-hour rule test where yeah. they were just having him drop back and throw. I think he was second in the league in pass attempts and third in time sacked going into this game. And it was a question of whether or not all of that pressure was going to be this trial by fire where he could develop or he was going to get crushed under it. And just like you said, a torn ACL is a random thing. There's not a one-to-one correlation between the weakness of their offensive line or the number of times that they were asking him to throw and the fact that he got hurt. But it also probably isn't a pure accident. And just by virtue of being the number one overall pick, those quarterbacks go to bad teams definitionally. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of situation that makes it really, really hard to be a high draft pick rookie quarterback because of the infrastructure is just not going to be great around you. And I was looking over the clap cap has the Bengals with $46 million in cap space for next season. There's guys like Brandon Scherf or Joe Tooney who are going to be hitting free agencies guards. Mm-hmm. Most of the high end tackles are older guys like Russell Okung or Trent Williams, but they will probably have to spend there or they can go to the draft. But the future of Joe Burrow is tied to what they can do to support him. And that is a little bit of a scary place to be, particularly for a quarterback like Burrow, whose performance should be pretty stable, right? Like his skills are accuracy, 
He's good in a clean pocket. He's performed really well in the areas that are generally stable indicators of future performance for quarterbacks. But the thing that you can't boil down is what's the organization going to do around him? And the Bengals don't have a great track record of being able to provide for guys in that way. So while it's completely random, and I think we should leave any sort of discussion of whether or not he will be physically changed by this injury until we know if there's any damage beyond basic torn ACL, because not to be flippant, these are horrible injuries, but in general, guys can come back from those pretty well if you get into additional types of damage that's maybe a a slightly bigger conversation. But it's a real reality check for what it means to be a rookie quarterback on one of these teams that was picking really high in the draft. And it's also just a huge bummer. Yeah, Scott Pioli said something about the correlation between, obviously, quarterback health and playing on a bad team. And the fact that, and this this sort of feeds on itself because, so essentially the thing you put out there was that the most, uh, the teams with the most percentage of pass plays this year, Chicago, Jacksonville, Philadelphia, the football team, Dallas and Cincinnati. And his point being that most of those teams have banged up quarterbacks or quarterbacks throughout for the year. And obviously bad teams are going to pass more. Bad teams are also going to have worse offensive lines. And if you're Joe Burrow, they are going to tee off on you. And that is true of all of these quarterbacks. And it just really, and I was just thinking about it tonight, it just really, really, really sucks to play quarterback for a, a, a young or a bad team. And I just hope Joe Burrow comes back stronger. I'm with you. I hope that they just, they spend a ton of money fixing the situation. Um, and and they, 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 there's a better infrastructure when when he comes back. So, uh, you know, they they had one, I was, I was reading Ben Baby on, on ESPN.com and he was saying, you know, they, they had one thing to do this year and that's keep Joe Burrow upright. And I, they, 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 he's now out for the year. Uh, it's awful. And, you know, I, I we'll get to this discussion broader uh, in, in more Broadway with with Tua later. Um, but I just I hate this and, I, and I, I hate to be this guy, but I hate this for the league because I think Joe Burrow had had franchise changing potential for a franchise that that needed it quite badly. Well, he'd made the Bengals fun. Yes. Already. They were Could fun you to watch, which was an accomplishment. Could you imagine in doing that? And you just saw the way that not that there's any ranking of people who gets people who get injured. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there are some guys and part of it has to do with him having played quarterback at schools that have a lot of players who go into the NFL. But you see Chase Young go over to him and just have a moment and how hard it hits people. All sorts of quarterbacks were tweeting out just thoughts to him. And you, you know, we got a taste of of who Joe Burrow is in the NFL, and he was really fun to watch. Seemed like he was really fun to be around, and it's it's just a bummer we don't get that for the rest of the season. But hopefully, if the Bengals do everything they possibly can right, we will be back there as soon as possible. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. 
because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, let's get to our first winner. Never a doubt. It's Sean Payton. So he kind of won the weekend, Nora. Like he kind of won the last three days. Starting Friday when he names Taysom Hill the starter over Jameis Winston in a total shock to the football world. I don't think anyone's talked about anything other than that for the past 72 hours. I feel like Sean Payton is just like, I wish I could have a little fly on the wall cam of Sean Payton just like probably fist bumping all over the place. He so nothing I love more than a good Twitter beef. I don't know if this really counts as beef, but um, Roddy White, former Falcons receiver, had tweeted the Saints are about to get whipped trying us with Taysom Hill at quarterback. And immediately after the game ends, I'm sure he was still in the locker room. He certainly couldn't have gone far. Sean Payton retweeted it. So he right in the joy of victory, pulled out his phone and was like, I just want to dunk on the Twitter haters. And Do you think he bookmarked it on Saturday. I'm going to say like, yes. I've, got, I've got this ready to go. It seemed pretty specific. I mean, no offense to Roddy sure. White, but that didn't come across my radar earlier in the week. And I no. feel like I probably spend more time on Twitter than Sean Payton does. So I, I think he was, I think he kind of had designs on that and good for him because Taysom didn't necessarily light the world on fire, but he threw a pretty clean sheet. He was 18 of 23, 233 yards, 51 rushing yards, two touchdowns, 10 carries. He lost a late fumble, but he didn't have any picks. And he put a pretty complete team in a situation to win pretty easily as their defense totally shut down Matt Ryan. So Sean Payton, proven right. So, yes. And the Saints won, beat the Falcons 24 to to 9. You know, uh, Steve Smith has a podcast. I listened to it a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about how when he played Sean Payton, it was just a a trash-talking war for the entire game. And the Sean Payton was just completely different. Remember... He was trash talking the Vikings fans a couple of years ago before the Minneapolis miracle. Like he is a different guy. I mean, he's kind of, I guess, weird is the wrong word, but he's he's definitely different than any other coach in football. He's and fun. Sean Payton can come. I to was brunch. not, I was not surprised when this happened because in in my book, actions speak louder than words. And if you give twenty one million to a guy, including sixteen million dollars next year, um, there's there's some there's some commitment there. And it's not like Jameis Winston was some some great, obviously consistent player. I mean, Jameis Winston had 30 interceptions last year, and according to Football Outsiders, he he led the league and in dropped interceptions. Okay, so like this this would have been a miraculous turnaround if if he was a competent quarterback and and was going to take care of the ball and all that stuff in Week 11 this year. Okay, so I, I it's not like I I would have guaranteed this, but I was not surprised on Friday when this happened. Okay. I still think long-term Jameis Winston's probably a better NFL quarterback in, you know, 2025 than Taysom Hill, but that's a different discussion. So I think this was about, first of all, Sean Payton, because he's now 6-0 and over the last two years with a backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater last year, obviously, Taysom Hill this year. And I think his ability to win games when other coaches would screw it up is is phenomenal. And I, I think that he deserves a lot of credit here. Um, the fact that James Palmer tweeted out before the game that Taysom Hill was also practicing being in on in punt protection made me more excited than anything I've ever seen in my life. Like, if Tiger Woods showed up in my door at like 1250 today and he was like, hey, man, the, the private jet is gassed up. We're, we're going to go pounce my PAs and we're going to go play Augusta. Let's go. 
I'd be like, uh, I don't know, man, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill starting in 10 minutes. Like that's that's where I was at today with Taysom Hill. And so the fact that he looked competent, he had two rushing touchdowns, he looked a little better passing the ball, although we've seen him pass. I and mean, this is a guy who had more tackles than completions in his career. Okay. That's kind of all you need to know. And the report was Ian Rapport had this, a couple people had this, that Sean Payton, quote, just wants to know if Taysom Hill can be the franchise quarterback. And I don't know if you necessarily learn anything. I'm obviously the, the Falcons are a bad team, but I kind of think that A, you sort of know what he's capable of, I guess you could say, in the short term. And I also think, and I think this is this is broader than anything, is if he develops in the next, let's say Breeze is out for a month. I don't know. If he develops into something competent, then what he gives you when he's on the field in January as a tight end or as a running back or as a change of pace quarterback, that is going to stretch the defense so much. And, you know, he had that one deep ball that was negated by a penalty but if he could consistently throw a deep ball, I'm not saying he could, but if he develops into something like that where he just puts a couple plays on tape, that's going to scare the hell out of defenses for, for, for January. I think that's really, really important here because I think the put, what you can do to a defense and the stress you can put on a, on a defense, even if you're playing tight end or whatever, wide receiver, whatever the hell they want to do, if they can, they can strike a little bit of fear, I think that is so huge in, in five weeks when, when, when that kind of stuff matters. And it would be really significant for other offensive personnel for them, right? And my argument here is certainly not that they wouldn't rather have Drew Brees, but it's not as if they weren't functioning with some offensive limitations in the first place. And so if he had a little uh, bit more quarterback, You're calling for a quarterback I mean, change. Sorry. <laughs> We've got a controversy. You're staying on the no, bench, we do not have a controversy. We have no, no controversy, and it will be good for the Saints if they can get Drew Brees back healthy as soon as possible. However... They have the the basic point is that they have such a good team that the most important thing is to not screw it up. Like, don't upset the apple cart for everybody else. And so I wonder if Peyton, who we got to give him credit for, he has some of the best quarterback intuition or evaluation ability or whatever it is, it seems like, of anyone in the NFL. And I wonder if he looked at what he knows of Taysom and, and Jameis and where they are right now and figured that. Taysom was less likely to turn the ball over because well, then oh. you. <laughs> yeah, that, how do you sure, figure that out? It's not a high bar. Big data. Okay? He used big data. He, got, he took one look at Jameis. They were, they were working. They were working around the clock. They were working in shifts to figure out who was going to turn the ball over less. They had they had all of the Pfizer scientists take a yeah. break from working on the vaccine to mm -hmm. take a look at Jameis and go, you know what? I think mm -hmm. this guy might throw throw the ball to the mm -hmm. other team. But that's not bad logic, right? Because their defense had nine sacks. Cam Jordan had three sacks. They've held their last three opponents each under 14 points. So it's not as if you need all that much. And he gave them plenty. So then the question becomes, they have the Broncos, Falcons, Eagles, Chiefs, Vikings, and Panthers left. So when does Breeze come back? And what... A or does he? And what do they do in the meantime? Because they're eight and two and they could conceivably not have to care all that much about the Chiefs game and still have a real shot at the top seed here. So they're going to be playing, I think, a little bit of sort of schedule parsing and yeah. figuring out how Breeze's health is going to factor into it. But they it, it seems like their path, shockingly enough, when they're starting quarterback has 11 broken ribs 
is not necessarily thrown off all that much by this. So I will say uh, that there are, first of all, our brains are broken by the fact that we're looking at 11 broken ribs and be like, oh, when's he come back? And it's like, if any of us had 11 broken ribs, we would just be out of commission for an entire year. So I kind of love football injury processes where it's like, oh, you know, it could be out three weeks, whatever. Um, Yes, I I agree with all the points above. And the last thing I want to say is that to make this about Taysom Hill entirely is is a little bit misguided. I know why the focus would be on, but the, the Saints defense played really, really well. Lattimore was out with an abdominal injury. And yet, Matt Ryan was sacked eight times. Cameron Jordan showed up. Snorris Jenkins played well, had that interception to clinch the game. So this was about whether or not, and this was the same with Teddy Bridgewater last year, whether the rest of the roster could could make up for a backup quarterback. The answer is yes. Again, I love the Saints. I, I would, If Breeze were here, I'd love to crown them. I'm just not crowning anybody. There's going to be no crowning for a while. Uh, let's crown the Browns as a pesky wild card contender because they are now firmly in a playoff seed. The playoff picture is heating up. I now bookmarked again. I do this every kind of around Thanksgiving every year, a bookmark, the playoff picture. They're now the sixth seed. The Ravens, the dolphins have dropped out. We'll get to both those teams in a bit, but I want to know what you thought about this game. What do we think about the Cleveland Browns who, when I saw, I was of two minds here. Because when I saw that Miles Garrett was out with COVID on Friday, I thought, oh, this, this could be a problem. Miles Garrett is the best player on the field in that game. Hypothetically, if he suits up, he's obviously the best player on the Browns. Uh, this could be a problem. And then I saw a stat from Eric Eager, my guy, Eric Eager. And he said that your guy, your guy, Eric Eager, too. Love Eric. podcast last week. Um, and I saw that, he, that Carson Wentz leads the NFL in interceptions from a clean pocket. So don't, you don't even need... Miles Garrett. Carson Wentz to just screw up on his own. Uh, but the Cleveland Browns take care of business. What do we learn? So, Fred, I just want to go back. So you won't crown any NFC teams, but you will crown well, it's different. like it's different middling crowns. AFC It's different teams. crowns. I, I'm giving out different types of So is of one crowns. like a like a plastic CVS tiara crown yes. is what we're yes. maybe giving the Browns? Yes. There's that a feels Super right Bowl. to me. There's an NFC champion crown that is not being given out. But okay. there's a pesky wild card crown that's different that is going to the Cleveland Browns. Okay, right. And I'm viewing that as like the the plastic crown that Katie Heron like breaks apart at the end of Mean Girls and like throws a little piece to everybody. Like all of right. the seven and three and like those teams can have mm-hmm. a little piece. You're, and like you're some for exactly Gretchen right. Wieners. That is correct. Okay. So the Browns to me seem like a team that for better or for worse, and sometimes it's for worse, they do know who they are. And the Eagles just really stink. And they stink. I, they stink quite badly. I've seen some really good defenses of Carson Wentz just as a player from people like Dan Orlovsky, who are just smarter than me about football. And I want to trust them. But it is getting really hard to parse him just like holding the ball for forever when there's a pass rusher just like zeroing in on him. And, and you're wondering if I turned my alarm clock up as high as it will go and put it in his ear and just tried to startle him, like, would he let go of the ball? Would would he just try to to get rid of it? Because it, 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 I just don't, it, it's very frustrating. And I don't think that health, like, I'm out of excuses for the Eagles. They're just a really bad team. And 
So back to the Browns. They only scored 22 points, and that's with the benefit of three turnovers from the Eagles. But Olivier Vernon was fantastic. Uh, with Garrett out, he still had three sacks. Nick Chubb mm-hmm. had 114 yards. I just feel like they know who they are. They know that they're going to be in the best position when they can get pressure from their defensive line and when they can run the ball. And at this point, that might be enough. And I don't think that they're going to make a really long playoff push, but this is also the weirdest year in history. So you can't really look at the position that they've put themselves in and say that it's all that bad. I was thinking about the Browns today, as as one does. And I was thinking about how if you told me two years ago or even a year ago that they would be in, in the hunt like this, I would not have been surprised, but I would have been surprised with just how it happened and how it all developed. And they've now scored only two touchdowns in their past three games. Offens- offensive touchdowns, obviously, in their last three games. And it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I thought this was going to be the week that Baker Mayfield finally passed Dak Prescott in passing yards. And I don't think he got there. I think he's two yards shy, if my, ma- my math is correct. I was, I was writing it down. Society has progressed beyond the need for Baker Mayfield, as well as offensive holding. It doesn't matter. His value is that he's not the problem. And that this offense is doing just enough. Listen, this team is not going to make the Super Bowl. They I don't I don't care if they make a win a playoff game. Um I they're they're the season's success no matter what, just building in the first year of Kevin Stefanski and this this roster looking good. But I just think that the, the the leaps and bounds they've grown from one year to the next is really interesting. And how this team was built and developed and all that stuff and the process, Ashi's process and John Dorsey and all the stops and starts, the fact they're able to put this together with some of the talent from previous teams plus new talent plus seeing what they they plopped on last year with Luz Odell Beckham. Like, I'm just so impressed when I see a game like this. And I understand the Eagles stink. And we're going to get to the Eagles in, in five seconds. But when someone is is making a mistake, just let them, okay? And when I think about the Browns, the Browns used to be the team that would just implode and teams would go, oh, good, a free win. And now it's the damn Eagles, who three years ago like the smartest organization in sports, and the Browns, the team saying, oh, good, we'll just play competent football and let these Eagles implode all in front of us and just pick up the pieces and score a touchdown. The Eagles, by the way, still in first place in the NFC East. We had a conversation earlier in the week where, what did you call them? What did you call this game? Like Schrodinger's Schrodinger's football game? Yeah, I just said it doesn't matter. It matters and it doesn't matter. And because because the 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 Eagles, the Eagles at this point can lose. I was playing around with the 538 the 538 playoff simulation. And if they lost their next three games, the Eagles, including this one, so two more after this, they'd still have a 35% chance to make the playoffs. What are we doing? What are we doing? Okay, so let me get to the Eagles here for a second. I'm I'm going to get angry here for a second because I remember visiting that facility after they won the Super Bowl and thinking, this is the model franchise. And it's the same people. It's Doug Peterson. It's the guy and the general staff and the general ethos. I know they lost Frank Reich and I, you know, I guess John DiFilippo or whatever. And But, you know, Doug Peterson took Nick Foles aside and said, what plays do you want to run? And Nick Foles said, I'm running a couple more RPOs. I have a couple routes, dagger route, I think it was, that they ran more yep. of. And that, to me, everything seems so well, well thought out. And three years later, it doesn't look like there's a plan. And this was a team that I thought played the long game better than anybody who's not the Patriots. Carson Wentz has not had a 100 passer rating game all season, I don't think. 
Uh, he was absolutely awful today to the point that he probably should have been benched. Doug Peterson said that his benching would have, quote, sent the wrong message to the team that the season is over. I don't know how you can do that. You'd still be in first place no matter what. The message you'd be sending is we're trying to win the game. Okay. Wentz was bad. His decision-making was off. The throws were terrible. Jason Peters, great career. Congratulations on everything, Jason Peters. Not the time. It's over. I guess but unless, unless there's something I'm not seeing right now, you should not be playing. Tim McManus said this as well. Jason Peters not going to be here next year. Alshon Jeffrey not going to be here next year. Where are we going? Is there no is there no youth plan here for a team that that you know used to draft and develop? And also, you know, when I when I when I was in Philadelphia talking to people there, you know, there were a hundred reasons why they won that Super Bowl. Anything from, and I've told the story before about you know, obviously they built through the lines, but then it's the one year deals for really good free agents that they they can get in the building and then extend. It's the value of draft picks. It's, by the way, Jeffrey Lurie told me that they only, they used to call the backup quarterback the second quarterback because they were so, they were, they were so convinced that backup quarterbacks always play because that's just the nature of an NFL season. So they always put a, 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 a value on having a second quarterback. Well, they've got one and they refuse to play him right now. So I, I, I'm just wondering where the franchise that was should have been a literal model for any team in football, where that, that team went and whether that ever existed. Maybe I was just wrong. Maybe they just accidentally won the Super Bowl. But I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they built a great team with a great salary cap and great depth and great roster and all that stuff. And I just, if Jalen Hurts can't come in and provide a spark, what was the point of the pick? What was the point of the pick? And Carson Wentz, you know, some of the sacks he took, I, it was holding on to the ball in situations. Man, I don't know. I don't know. It, the, I, I just, this, this franchise needs a huge, huge shakeup. And I, I'm, I don't think Doug Peterson should be fired. I think Doug Peterson's a really good coach. But I do know there's just no answers right now. And I don't know. I read Doug Peterson's damn book. I read his book. That's why you're mad. Because I, I read his book. And you spent all I wasted this time. I wasted like seven hours reading his book. And now the legacy of this era Eagles team is gonna be getting yeah, full the first... like, hey, I, there's nothing in there. I was reading this book going, hey, this is a good coach. And now he's not even that. No, now the legacy of this era Eagles franchise is gonna be getting Nick Foles the first blue lemon ambassadorship for an NFL player. Do you have any other points or should we talk about the un- the, the the dark side of this particular division (laughs) the dark side of the moon the dark side of the nfc east let's do it it takes me no pleasure to report this but there is a legitimate path to victory in the nfc east for the dallas cowboys wolf so first of all they have the 31st hardest schedule in the nfl going forward only seattle has an easier schedule they have they play the baltimore ravens which at this point who the hell knows then they have the Bengals, which most NFCs teams do. But then the football team, the Giants, the Eagles, and then the Niners. If I'm not mistaken, they have the most NFC East games remaining, which is pretty much the only thing that matters at this point. I was joking last week about how the problem with the NFC East is they don't play the NFC East in its entirety. And the closest you're going to get to that is, is Dallas. Andy Dalton comes back. There's a, first of all, I was just blown away by this. NFL put this out. Did you know that Andy Dalton and Dalton Schultz were the first it was the first time ever that a last name threw to a first name and it was the same. Wow. Andy Dalton oh. and Dalton Schultz. First time that's ever happened for an exact name. Feels like with how the, could that be? Receiver. 
I don't know. We've had I mean, Rogers to Rogers, but first, that's last names. It's the, the and also you have like a Rogers to Roger kind of thing, but it's not an exact match. This is this is outrageous. It's outrageous. Wow. Now someone could conceivably be named Andy Dalton Schultz. That's actually kind of a nice. That's a nice yeah. name. That's a Hollywood name. It is. It's a, it's a great name. So, uh, Cowboys played a nice game. Demarcus Lawrence played really well. CeeDee Lamb looks like a great one. But the story here is that, it, that this is a bunch of teams with three wins, and it's anybody's division. Uh, if the Washington football team, they play on Thursday, Dallas and Washington football team, and the winner of that game, I mean, at some point it becomes insurmountable. Once you get to five wins, I mean, this is, you're resting your start. I mean, Andy Dalton might be resting in week 17 if he gets if they get to five wins here in two weeks. So, okay, a couple of things. First of all, I just want to say, like, blessed are the wide receivers who made this a watchable and and actually very fun. Justin game, Jefferson, which, great. The Vikings. Justin should not Jefferson, have lost this great. Game. We'll get that in a second. Justin Jefferson, great, but CeeDee Lamb made an incredible catch. Adam Thielen made an incredible catch. Like the yes. back corner of the end zone was just a, a fun place to be today. And the Cowboys won 31-28. So this could have been a dumpster fire and was actually a very fun game to watch. And I think we should count our blessings in that regard, particularly when the NFC East is involved, given how much primetime television space they take up. So that's great. The second is a question I have for you, which is, do you even want to win the NFC East? Because once you make the playoffs, draft position gets reseeded. So it's not as if a terrible record for the team that wins this division is going to line up with their draft position. Like they will all of a sudden be vaulted closer to the top. So it's a real, like, I think that's a real question because at that point, you're talking about a fairly significant difference. Let me tell you why I want to win the NFC East because my life revolves around one thing and one thing only. If and, and this is why I'd want to win the NFC East if I played there. Only thing I care about is talking shit. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the only thing I care about is winning. No, 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 no. It's just, That's just relentless trash talk. And you win that division, you get you get months of it. So that's I think bragging rights are important. Hey, listen, I, in all seriousness, and I, I don't Talking shit is not the, the be-all, end-all with NFL players. But these guys, yes, they want to make the playoffs. And they want to... There is a feeling... Who said this? I forget. Maybe it was Steve Mariucci or somebody like that. There is a feeling for a, for a non-playoff team from January when the season ends until August. And it is so different. It doesn't matter if you, if you made it at 8-8 eight and eight or 12-4, and four, whatever it is there's a sort of a pall that hangs over. And I kind of just feel like from a personal pride standpoint, from a job standpoint, you want more chances, you want to play. It's So I guess the answer is you do want to win the NFC East. And I think that that's, we'll see that. Uh, the Vikings, we don't have time to get into the Vikings. They should not have lost this game. I thought that they could have made a nice little NFC, like a fake NFC, like wild card run where we could have been thinking about it in week 16. This, is, this was not good. You lost Andy Dalton, you're done. All right, loser. Oof, it's the Miami Dolphins. So we had, I don't want to say we, we were the conductors of the hype train because we weren't, but we were, we had punched, we had first class tickets on the Dolphins hype train. We were talking about how they'd be tied with the Bills at this point because obviously they're just playing the Broncos 
no problem there. Uh, not only do they lose to the Denver Broncos, but Tua, who was part a huge part of the reason for most of our optimism, was benched. And he will be the starting quarterback going forward, according to Brian Flores. But he left the game with 83 yards. There was no spark. There's more questions than answers at this point. Um, you have, you're responsible for most of the Tua takes on this podcast. Give us some more. There's nothing new here, right? There's there's a lot new in terms of how their defense got run all over. And I actually think it's a pretty significant credit to the Broncos just for forcing another team into playing the type of game that they're more comfortable playing. But everything that happened to the Dolphins offense, I guess beyond their offensive line being totally demolished, although that wasn't necessarily unpredictable either, is in line with what we've talked about, I think. Tua has shown moments of incredible poise that to me say that he has an incredibly bright future. I just don't understand what the problem with saying that a player who is 22 coming off a brutal injury in one of the weirdest years on record just might not be quite ready yet. And that is what it looked like. And then we had a quintessential Ryan Fitzpatrick experience where he came in, he started to lead a comeback. He completed 12 of 18 passes for 117 yards, get them in position to potentially tie it. And then he threw a pick in the end zone. He was targeting Devonte Parker on third and eight and Justin Simmons picked it off and, and the rest was history. I don't really know what else to say about where they are other than that they are a very good team that plays very good special teams and very good defense and has a limited offense that I think is a little bit less limited when Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing quarterback than Tua right now. And I sort of think that that's backed up by the fact that they are going back to Tua, but they felt like in that moment, Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to give them the best chance to win. So it's clearly a close competition between those two. And you can make a very strong argument for getting game reps and helping to develop. But I still always come back to with this team, how viscerally negatively they reacted to the idea that they might be tanking and how they've won a lot of games that we didn't expect them to and seem to place an incredibly high premium on just competing in every moment. And I still kind of have trouble understanding why they are playing a quarterback who doesn't seem like he necessarily gives them the best chance to win. So that's how I feel. The Dolphins are never tanking. And I think that with Flores in particular, and this is something I thought about when they made the move to Tua to begin with, and that why it was a little bit of a surprise to me, even though I obviously understood it, was because I think that they want to win the game in front of them at all times. And I think that Fitz was playing pretty well. So obviously the Tua three-game run here dovetailed with just some great plays by the defense, with the Dolphins understanding their identity and who they are. And, and you even saw that with, you know, how many times Tua on the first drive of the game was either given a lead or given great field position. And so I think that a lot of the Tua hype was because of that, because he looked good enough in games where they were making him look really good. And obviously, and he has part exceptional of that was Tua. poise. Yes. Exceptional. Yes. And he will be a star. And I'm not, this today doesn't make me feel any less uh, optimistic about, about his future. I think that there are probably three medium-term goals 
for for the Dolphins this year. Uh, they're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to develop Tua, and they got to keep Tua healthy. Joe Burrow, obviously, we saw what happens. Um, you know, w- w- the worst case scenario for, for for a young quarterback. We saw that today with Burrow. But I actually think that you know, first of all, Tua's been taking some awful hits today. You know, I saw that Bradley Chubb one. Uh, the offensive line was was not protecting him, um, and and Fangio was just was 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 scheming him up, and that that was that was not good for a young quarterback. And so I kind of think on a day like today that in order to keep him healthy and in order to develop him more and in order to protect the playoff run, I, I thought that benching him wasn't, wasn't the worst thing in the world. And he'll grow from this. He'll learn from this. The Dolphins are, and this might surprise some people who don't follow everything closely, but like the Dolphins are at this point a very, very good franchise. And it, 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 whether it's coaching staff, whether it's front office, cap, whatever, uh, they understand how they should deal with the young quarterback, and so I'm not. It, it, there, there's very, there's maybe five teams I trust more right now um, to to do the right thing, um, and and so I'm I'm. I don't think this is as big a disaster as maybe someone might from the outside. I don't think it's a disaster at all. I just think that we got really carried away with the with assigning the hype about this team to their offense, which was objectively just not producing a lot. Ringer NFL Slack took a step back today. <laughs> it's really tough. It's a tough look for us. We keep we gotta have Ben Glixman call in and and leave a voicemail at some point. But this I'm probably surprised he wasn't hiding on the Zoom call to jump out here to defend Tua with his 83 yards. He's probably like he's like outside my door in Boston. He's gonna like run mm-hmm. in out from the cold. Mm-hmm. I do want to. We should take a moment to shout out the Broncos though because. For all of what we've made of the Dolphins defense, yeah. which Justin I think is Simmons. genuinely shout out Justin Simmons. Shout out Justin Simmons. But for all that we've made of the Dolphins defense, which I, I think is genuinely very, very good. And the ways that they get pressure is incredibly interesting and effective. They did come into the game 29th in DVO against the run, and the Broncos just ran on them, which is a simple thing of attacking an opponent's weakness that more coaches should do and a surprisingly small number of them actually follow through on. But Melvin Gordon had 84 rushing yards. Philip Lindsay had 82. And they attacked the, on the other side of the ball, they attacked the offensive line. It's the Broncos had six sacks. And I just always feel like it's worth mentioning when a team plays an opponent that has more talent, is a better team than them, and just identifies the places where they're weak and goes after those. It sounds really simple, but it doesn't happen as often as you would think. So I think that's a good good sign for the Broncos. Ultimately, what this comes down to is that they turned the ball over twice, Drew Locke threw a pick, and then um, there was the Andrew Van Ginkle strip of Melvin Gordon on the goal line, but they didn't shoot themselves in the foot, and they played in a way that that allowed them to go through the game on their terms. And I thought it was impressive. Yes. Okay. So let's get to the next loser. It's Baltimore Ravens. And all credit in the world goes to the Tennessee Titans. We're going to give them a lot of props in this segment. But right now, the Baltimore Ravens, the team I picked to make the Super Bowl, they're just not good. So they went up 21 to 10 in the third quarter. They're the type of team that's supposed to hold a lead. And they just didn't. Okay. Um, two touchdowns in this game were especially worrying. The A.J. Brown one where uh, Chuck Clark, Marcus Peters, and Marlon Humphrey missed tackles. And it wasn't even... A.J. Brown, it's not like he was breaking the tackles. It's like he was shoving them aside. 
Like it wasn't necessarily, he was like, they were hanging on and they just gave up. It was really a strange play. Um, but this was, I'm feeling better about the Titans and worse about the Ravens after Sunday. And, and there's so many things to get to here. Uh, but the number one thing before we get into sort of the, the, the scheme stuff and, and all that was how many quotes after the game were about how much effort, how much more effort or toughness Tennessee had than Baltimore coming from the Baltimore side. And uh, that worries me a lot. Uh, Lamar Jackson said, look like the team wanted it more than us. Uh, and that, that point, they were playing physical. Uh, Lamar basically said the same thing last week about how physical the Patriots were in the heavy rain. Um, Derek Wolf took responsibility for the Derek Henry touchdown in overtime that won the game. But they, they basically need to be more physical is, 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 is the bottom line from pretty much everybody. Um, and so I was reading those quotes after the game about effort and physicality and stuff really worried me because so much of the Ravens' identity last year was just running people over. And I remember going there and, and Robert Griffin III made the comparison between the Ravens' offense and Lamar Jackson to the Marshawn Lynch run through a MFers face thing. That was their mentality last year. That's not their mentality this year. You know, Mike Renner wrote a great piece on Pro Football Focus last week about essentially what defenses are doing to Lamar Jackson. It's essentially the same offense as last year. They're using the same amount of motion, the same amount of shifts, the same amount of heavy sets. The difference is teams are using uh, more dime packages, more defensive backs, lighter sets, all that stuff. And they're just more adaptable. And if you could beat the Ravens last year, and the Titans could, they did in the playoffs, then you can beat them this year. Uh, but also other teams are, are having success there. So I, there's a lot to get to. Nora, what, what, what jumps out about the Ravens and the Titans today? Well, some of it is explainable. So their inability to take advantage of those lighter defensive packages that they're facing. Some of that I think is just because they've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. So when last year, they were retired. Right. Um, so some of last year when they would have been able to just pound the ball against those light defenses, they're less effective doing that. But there also does seem to be, and I'm glad you brought up some of the post game quotes because they have really bad vibes. And I'd spent a couple of weeks just wondering like, are the Ravens just kind of emo? You know, like, are they yeah. just like this? Are they well, super dramatic? We talked dramatic? about it after the Colts game, how they, uh, how just, uh, how emotive they were. I get, I don't know what the word is. They, they, they just seemed like they were living and dying with every result this year. They're and like maybe a Drake that's because, song. <laughs> that's beca- I think it's because last year's playoff loss was so emotional that their expectations this year were so high that there's just, there's a bit of an emotional roller coaster there this year. Well, and I worry about that in in the position that they're in now because they are currently outside looking in for the playoffs. If they lose on Thanksgiving to the Steelers, they are out of the hunt for to win the AFC North. Mm-hmm. And with the way things have been going for the Browns, that's all of a sudden looking like they would have a tougher and tougher task for them just to to get a wild card. And mm-hmm. this is not exactly the most scientific and and thoughtful analysis, but if you're a team that's going to come on hot at the end, I want you to be loose. Like I, I want yeah. there to be a screw it, it's us against the world. Let's just go for it. Vibe. You, you know, you know, who had that vibe last year, the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. 
And I think there's a there's something really probably wounding about playing two teams that pride themselves on physicality. They go up against each other twice and one just takes it to the other routinely. And that A.J. Brown play, it reminded me of like a bunch of Ravens defenders trying to tackle like a really muscled up version of one of those um, like blow up guys that hangs out outside car dealerships. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's just it's like a combination of big and slippery. But that is so core to their identity, being able to do things like that, that I bet it's really tough to lose in that way, to lose to a yards after the catch team like Tennessee. So in some ways, I'm I'm not surprised that they're a little in their feelings right now, but I think it's a bad place to be if you want to make a late season push. Agree. And, you know, the best comparison Renner made, I thought, was he compared this Ravens team to what happened to the Rams after Belichick owned the Rams in the Super Bowl. And I, they basically went in a one-year funk. Now, so much of that had to do with the Rams' offensive line injuries and all that stuff and just not what happens when they had to adjust a little bit and, and take a step back. They weren't able to do it. And then, obviously, a year later, they've, they've recovered and all that stuff. and they've, they've gotten their mojo back, so to speak. And I just wonder if... Kind of, we've talked about this Sisyphus thing that Jim Harbaugh brought up years ago that I think about all the time where you, when you get close to the mountaintop, it's just really hard to get back. And I wonder if I overrated their ability to just bounce back immediately. Maybe maybe this is a longer-term project than I anticipated. Maybe they're not the team I thought. I don't know. Uh, all I know is is that, that, that I was most likely wrong. Take my medicine. Uh, not too worried about it. They play the Steelers on Thursday, and we're going to learn a lot. Uh, the, the Titans, real quick, we'll give them some props. Obviously, a great game with both Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown touchdown. Both of them sort of showed who they are as far as being physical badasses. And, and you know, Derrick Henry's second half. I've heard the broadcast talk about how he wears guys down. It seems like pseudoscience, but when you watch it, it's just not. Like, people get tired of hitting Derrick Henry and trying to hit Derrick Henry. Bucky Brooks was on the show a month ago and was just like, man, when I played defensive back and there was a guy like, like Derrick Henry... I was out. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, you know, you don't want to get, get put on a poster. There's a real emotional response to it. Um, so I just, I, I liked what they did. Um, I, I am starting to like that team. And, you know, listen, there's so many AFC teams right now with the playoff race that there's going to be good teams on the outside looking in. But I, I, I do like the Titans. Uh, Jayon Brown, by the way, is out for the season with a dislocated elbow. Uh, good Titans linebacker. Oh, that sucks. Some, some housekeeping. Uh, all right. All right. Hurry up. Steelers, Jags, go. Well, I got to flip to you on this one, Kevin, because I think you summed this game up pretty, okay. pretty nice. Steelers are 10 and 0. Congratulations. We'll see them on Thursday. We can't, listen, this is 2020. We can't beat the Jags and expect praise here, okay? Uh, Chargers, Jets, Justin Herbert overcomes a bad haircut to win a game. Just hero stuff, just some real hero stuff. But I think the question is does playing the Jets negate the bad haircut juju? or the bad Chargers juju. Or, We're going to get to that. Or are the Jets so historically bad that they can negate both of those things? It's, it's food think. for thought. It's food for thought. Uh, Patriots versus the Texans. I was I couldn't believe this game. Uh, the Texans were the worst rush defense in football. The, all the Patriots do is, is run the ball effectively. I, I cannot believe that the sh- they couldn't obviously they couldn't generate any pressure on Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson played out of his mind. I love Deshaun Watson. I was so disappointed in the Patriots Day. Did, did Devin McCourty opt out and not tell anybody? That's brutal. That's brutal. Devin McCourty like has my my entire heart. I great guy. Great to... guy. 
great guy. That secondary, it, it, it we're not playing well. Being a great locker room dude does not, in fact, generate pass breakups. That's what we're finding. Uh, any hope for the Patriots going forward? I know you're so negative on them. They're just not good. Like the difference yeah. in this game was one team just has terrible infrastructure, but some good players. And the other team has great infrastructure, but does not have enough good players to compete in a game like this. And that is absolutely where the Patriots are. And it is not about this season for them anymore. It's just not. Panthers lions. My only take on this is that the Lions should have just kidnapped Joe Brady, like an old, like a 19, like a 1500s war, just stolen him. I like it. It's good strategy. Maybe next time. Uh, the thing of lines got shut out. They stink. Beep, 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 beep. We did it. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's do uh, reader questions first before we get out of here. All right, so we got two similar questions, okay? First is from Derek Ashworth, the golf man. If a trade was proposed between Nick Foles and Carson Wentz right now, how would either Philadelphia or Chicago feel about that? Would most fans rather have the other quarterback? We also got a tweet from Andy Johnson, uh, one of the best golf minds on the planet, who asked, uh, would you rather have Chicago's offense or Philadelphia's offense? So both those are in the same genre. I want to focus on the Foles for Wentz question. So if tomorrow Ryan Pace calls Howie, I guess after the season, after the when, when trading opens up, or if hypothetically you could do it now, if that trade was proposed, how does that conversation go, Nora? I think they would do it, although... Well, they can't, they can't with cap. But that, that's not that's where this is a hypothetical universe. Yeah, I think they would do it because when people get upset about things, they the grass is always greener. Uh, I agree with that. I actually think that the Eagles, the Eagles might say no. I yeah, think the maybe. Eagles might say no. Should the Eagles say no? Because you, you can get out of that. You can get out of that Foles deal easier than you can get out well, of that Wentz deal. Well, I mean, the dead the dead cap charge would be insane. So uh, this is all hypothetical. But, first of all, if Nick Foles was the quarterback and put up the same performance Carson Wentz did today on a lesser contract that you can get out of, do they put Jalen Hurts in the game today? Because I think they absolutely do. Yeah. I it think would, that they, they're, if you put circumstances, if you put the contract and name aside, they put Jalen Hurts, the second round pick, they put him in the game today. Yeah. Right. They would be a better team. Uh, it's a good hypothetical. Um, there would be a I'm better functioning team right now if they did that. I, I'm looking forward to debate shows stealing it for Wednesday, as as often happens with the reader questions. Um, no, just you know, you're in the airport. Oh, look, look at the Chiron. It's the the reader question from from Sunday. Uh, second question is from Greg. Did the Jets fix the Chargers? Uh, my answer is no. Jets games are not canon. Jets games are not canon. That's all we need to say. That's right. It's like it's it's like when someone's like, oh, this is this. You know, this comic book 
is in an alternate universe or whatever. Like that's where we're at. The J- the Chargers, it's all it's all the same. Nothing this is important, actually, that we're talking about this because another reader question was something like, I'm a Jets fan. Like, what do I have to live for? Yeah. And we get that a lot. I responded to it on. T- yeah, I know. And I responded to it on Twitter and I, I said bagels because bagels are awesome and there are great ones in New mm. York. And I just wanted to to make sure that that didn't come across to anyone as bagel, like goose egg, nothing, because oh. since there are bagels, it cannot be bagel because bagels alone are fantastic and Jets fans can um, feel better by eating them. So go have a bagel. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, tomorrow's clickbait. Go ahead. Um, I'm just going to do this and see if Ben Glixman allows me to escape with my life. Oh, but no. <laughs> two is a bust. Kevin's speechless. Okay. No, I, I'm I'm actually, I Googled it to make sure that there was not a headline, and there already is a headline. It's up on, on NFL.com and other places. It said, it appears that the Saints have found their heir apparent. It's Mr. Taysom Hill. Oh, no. It's up. It's already up. It's a question mark, though. It says, have the Saints found Breeze's heir apparent in Hill? And then the headline is that it justified the investment. So Does the, does the body of the article just say... No. No, it looks it's no 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 no. It's it's fully fleshed out and by by a writer who was fantastic, Judy Batista. So it's I already love Judy started. Batista. It's already we're there. We're there. It's not even tomorrow's clickbait. Tomorrow's clickbait today. <laughs> Sean Payton just dunking on the haters. Tomorrow's mm-hmm. clickbait today. Mm-hmm. One of Ian's tweets was like Sean Payton won the world zero. We have Belichick Brady. Mm-hmm. Rivers and the Chargers, Chargers fighting over bad vibes. Taysom Hill Sean versus Twitter. Payton versus the world. Mm-hmm. Take that. Take that world. All right. This has been anything else. This has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks for That's what we go out on. On Tuesday, House and Warren Sharp will be with you on a special Thanksgiving week episode. And then on Wednesday, a super table, a crossover episode. Myself, Nora, Danny Kelly, and Ryan Chase will be answering December's biggest questions. See you then.